Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. This episode presented by The Wealth Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more info at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Wealth Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See where two rights are and if they can help. Romello White has entered the transfer portal and might be headed to Vanderbilt. He averaged 10.2 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks per game for Arizona State last season. The guest line is presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable sheets would be until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They're fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. We had no mailbag today, so the question and answer session is sponsored by Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it here. Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us today, as he does every week. Mitch, thank you for joining us today. Hope your house and yard were safe from the violent storms that rolled through Nashville on Sunday night. How are you today? I'm good, and I felt uh, I felt like my priorities were a little out of whack last night. Uh, yesterday, I uh, in my smoker, I, I put some ribs on at 12 o'clock for six hours of smoking ribs last night, and... As the weather came through, I know the rest of Nashville was worried about their power, worried about everything. I just, I actually, with some bungee cords, I attached my grill to my deck to be sure nothing happened. I just kept staring at my grill the whole time to be sure nothing happened to my ribs. So I know other people were worried about like trees falling on their house and all that stuff, but I was more concerned about my ribs and, and our yard and my ribs came through unscathed. What is funny is that my wife was also smoking ribs. We have a Traeger which is an electric grill. So Ooh, she, it's rival. A, I have a Rectech. Big okay. Rival. Traeger sucks. Rectech's awesome. Oh, well, we can't talk anymore. Uh, hey, fine. It's a, okay. <laughs> it's your podcast. Is, that, uh, is it an electric grill that feeds wood pellets? Yeah, they're the exact same thing. I mean, they're, they're like the two prominent. Uh, Rectech and, and Traeger are the, the two prominent uh, pellet grills. Yeah, I'm not a... One of these guys, you have certain types of people that get these grills, and I'm sort of an outlier. I'm not this fanatical smoker guy that knows all the tricks and everything and spends a whole week in doing. I, I wouldn't mind being that guy one day, but that is not in my schedule yeah. right now with my time. But, yeah, that was a good thing. We got ours two years ago. My wife 
with the storms coming, actually went out and pulled the ribs off of the smoker. We were smoking them at the time, and then she cooked the rest of them in the oven at that point. Uh, while I <laughs> was taking it easy, I was lying on the couch Googling basically when are they going to play baseball again. And I knew it was storming, but I didn't know it was as bad as it was. Okay, I think I learned a lot about you and your family that your wife's out there cooking the ribs and you're sitting on the couch, but let's we can move on. You probably did. That's that's not usually the way it goes, but yeah. uh, my wife is handy in the kitchen and with the smoker too. I'll tell you what, have you tried a deep dish pizza on your grill before? I have not. Those have not. are really good. That is one thing that I can do with those, and, and those turn out really well. You have to be careful about the depth of the pan because if it's a thin pan, it can burn it pretty easily. So you have to be really careful, but uh, wood-fired grills do a really good job for pan pieces, if that's your thing. Duly noted. Well, let's talk Vanderbilt sports. The breaking thing this morning, I think it was Robbie Weinstein who tweeted this, or one of the first ones, about Romello White entering the transfer portal. He has also put in a do-not-contact notation on that. The thought is he's heading to Vanderbilt. Romello White, I believe, has played against Vanderbilt twice. Your thoughts on him as a player, Mitch? I think just once, 2017, 2018. Um, no, you might be right. So this year did not play. Played, yes, you're right. Played uh, Vanderbilt beat Arizona State in the 18-19 season and lost out there in 17-18. You know, I, I'm, I know of him, you know, very well. I mean, I've followed college basketball. I know he's a good player. I probably haven't seen Arizona State play more than – six or seven times in, in his career. He, um, this past year, 10 points, 8.8 rebounds. He's a big physical power forward. He's basically been a three-year starter um, at Arizona State. I, I reached out to an Arizona State contact, and I have a writer I know very well, and he said that White got a little frustrated with the his usage rate, his lack the lack of ball movement at Arizona State. Um and that that was one of his frustrations there. And you you correct me if I'm wrong here, but the connection is that he played for Stackhouse's AAU team. Is that correct? That is correct. He played for Stackhouse Elite. <laughs> so you know, I guess there's a connection there. He sees an opportunity, and that really, I'm not going to sit here and say my my, you know, and, and I guess since we've last spoke, Saban Lee has confirmed what we all kind of assume that he will not be back. I'm not saying this drastically changes the expectation next year, but it really helps the roster. Um, you know, just it adds a big man. If assuming he makes it here, it adds a big man. You have less pressure on the untested big men. Um, you know that that are stepping into bigger roles. So it's just you know it it it, it adds it adds a quality big man who's going to go out and get you some boards and, and play defense and and probably score twelve to fifteen points a game. Yeah, and. David Sisk has been doing some research. I'll keep a lot of it in our war room, and people can check it out there. But one thing that is sort of the overarching story right now, let's assume that, well, first of all, I, I guess you can technically, you don't have to be in the transfer portal to transfer, do you? I haven't thought of this until now, but I mean, I guess technically you could transfer without going into the portal, or is that a necessary step. I mean, the, the transfer portal is basically like announcing to the world, hey, I'm going to be leaving the school that I'm at. But do you, do you have to go into the portal in order to transfer? I have no idea. I mean, it's an, I would think so. It's an administrative step, I guess. You know, so I don't know if you've already decided where you're going, if you can officially bypass. I, I, I really don't know. Well, and the reason I'm asking is because 
okay, let's assume you have to go into the portal officially before you can talk. He goes into the portal, I guess, this morning or last night. In that case, I would presume if everybody's on the up and up here that he hasn't applied for admission or any of those sorts of things yet or doesn't know whether he can get into school. So this is not me reporting is authoritative, but it does beg a question in terms of, okay, if this just happened very recently, then the academic side becomes an issue and can he get into school? And so before everybody goes, oh, Romella White's going to land on the roster next year, there is that. And, and you and I talked about this. You brought up an example on the football roster. This is not necessarily a straight-out killer, but he was a partial qualifier out of high school, so I wonder what kind of shape the academics are in. Yeah, right. And, um, I, again, I, I believe this to be the case when – uh, I, I read about when Eddie Zinn Turner transferred from Marist. He ended up getting hurt and not playing a down for Vanderbilt last year. But I believe he was a non-qualifier out of high school because he was – basically the story was he was very proud of himself here. I can't – how far he's come academically. So, you know, I, I think it's it's basically based on how he's done at Arizona State and, and, and other factors. So, right, yeah, we don't want to get – we don't want to jump the gun here. We don't know for sure that he would be admitted to Vanderbilt or that it, he's definitely where he's going. But we're just talking about the possibilities. Well, possibilities are about all we have to discuss with sports these days. Right. And with that, let's let's assume that he lands on the roster next year. I would think their starting lineup would go like this, or at least maybe the five guys they use the most. Now, they may decide to bring one of these guys off the bench for rotation purposes, but you go Pippen at the one. I guess you could play Harvey at the two. At that point, he's a big two guard. And then you have DeSue at the three, Brown at the four, and White at the five, or maybe the four and five or reverse. It doesn't really matter. But that might be your best five players, and that's that's not a bad lineup. I don't I know a, that it's a good I, I one, but it's not a bad Matt one. Matt Evans would not start. Okay, so then who do you bring off the bench? DeSue? Harvey or, you know, I, I don't know. As we saw last year, early in the year before the injuries and became, became like he had to start Saban Lee, you know, Saban Lee was clearly Vanderbilt's best or second best player early in the year, and, and Jerry Stackhouse brought him off the bench. So I think uh, among, you know, co- among all the coaches we've seen, who who starts the game probably matters less for Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, like I said, I to me that's their five best because I would put Harvey in there before Evans, and then you come off the bench, you can have Lawrence at combo guard. I guess he would become their backup point. Wright and Evans can play wings and Melora Brown as a post. So I would think that's your nine right there. I don't know, um, again, about McBride. That is the perpetual question. And even if he's on the roster, he may not be eligible. But I would think that's your nine-man rotation. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, um, you know, as we've talked about a lot, a lot of venerable success or lack of success, but if you're, you're – you're, envisioning them taking a jump is on guys taking the the the, the leap for you know Pippen and DeSue are the two guys I mentioned the most as you know I think DeSue has all SEC ability I don't know if he'll ever be an all SEC player he's a very versatile player so you know if if those guys take leaps as sophomores that that does a lot for this team next year and what you might also do is um I think the kid from Knox Catholic probably red shirts in that case which he was more of a project anyway I think yeah, that's especially if White comes. That yeah, like, which we're assuming for this argument, that that definitely helps. Well, that gives them some depth. First of all, they're not looking at having to play two or three walk-ons like they did at points this year. So I think that is or at four. least 
<laughs> did they play four at once? Yes. If, yeah. If you call if, if uh, um, uh, Bradley Albert was a walk on, which technically I think he was on scholarship last year, but he's for all intents and purposes he's a walk on because he'll be a walk on going forward. They, they there were games where they played four walk ons. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about – I kind of forget about Albert. He's sort of the forgotten man. I would think that he would have, obviously, a home on the roster next year as well. But suddenly you do have some numbers potentially that you didn't have last year. Right, definitely. And, you know, it, it's that's important. I mean, again, it, we had fun with it. I actually wrote two stories for The Athletic on two different Vanderbilt walk-ons. Um, but ideally you don't want walk-ons playing against, you know, Anthony Edwards in Georgia and having two or three on the fourth at the same time. Well, let's go back to the lineup for a minute. I'm going to give you two early wild cards for next year. Uh, I think the, the guys that are the wild cards to me are Pippen and DeSue. I think that, as you mentioned, and we agree on this, DeSue has got a lot of potential you threw out the phrase potential all SEC. I agree with that. I think I see some skills there. He was a very skilled shooter in high school, hit a lot of threes. So I think that and the size, which he has to shoot over the top of the defense, I think gives him a lot of potential. The other one is Pippen, who was better than I think anybody thought he was going to be. But as I've done this Vandy Sports 100 that we'll get into in a minute, one thing that I have noticed is a lot of times – a sophomore slump just hits out of nowhere. I have no reason to predict that for Scottie Pippen Jr. Other than the fact that I just see it happen at certain points. So that said, I think those two guys are, are very much keys in terms of does DeSue take the next step up and does Pippen continue to play at the level he did a year ago or perhaps take his game up a level as well? Yeah, obviously, you know, the sample sizes are small, but you're probably thinking of Reno Riley, the chance who, who, Played a lot as a freshman, scored well. Maybe even Brad Tinsley, same same situation where he played a lot as a freshman. His numbers were down a little bit as a sophomore. Uh, but I mean, it's again, it's a small sample size. So you know, other than the fact that we can we can think of a couple of guys that had sophomore slumps, there's really no reason to believe he's going to slump. But is he going to be who he was last year, or is he? You know, I think he he needs to get stronger. I think his his shot. I don't have any, you know, this is just anecdotally, but I, it seems like a shot improved as the season progressed, or at least just watching him, you felt, you felt more confident in his, him as a shooter as the season progressed. Um, and, you know, he was more assertive. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think he was better than we all expected. Mitch, got anything else on basketball or would you like to call, uh, to talk college football for just a moment? Um, no, I mean, I think we covered covered uh, a lot of basketball. I guess if White does enroll, that would be the 13th scholarship. Is that what the, I haven't done the math? Yes, that would be. And that includes McBride. Okay. Is one of the 13. So if McBride, if they suddenly start recruiting another player for this year, unless it is some sort of an invited walk-on situation, then that would be probably a hint that that's not going to work out. And again, I want to be careful. That's not me reporting that it's not going to work out. But he also, as far as I know, I'm not 100% sure that he's been admitted to the school yet. Okay, sounds good. So let's talk football. Uh, Your thoughts on the college football season. Will it be this fall? If so, what will it look like? (laughs) <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it, it is. Well, well, hang on. You you are like a, a lawyer and a doctor, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I am fascinated to see what happens. Um, obviously, for my career and my 
everything I do. I hope we have college football. I think we all hope we have college football. Um, just, you know, every, I would say every day we learn more. I don't think that's every day. Maybe every week we learn more. I know Arkansas has been, you know, you can't talk this thing into existence, which, you know, a lot of people seem like they're trying to do. Arkansas, uh, Hunter Yurichek, their AD today, said there was a virtual board meeting and he told the board that they're going to start practicing in late July and they're ready for their first game on September 5th. That all sounds good. I hope it's the case. But just because schools say they are planning on opening doesn't mean they definitely will. I mean, a lot, you know, a lot's been reported about this, but this is about the, the time where deposits, housing deposits need to be made and all that stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it behooves these schools to, to act like they are committed to, to enrolling students this fall. You know, Vanderbilt has not said anything publicly about that or to students, you know, my daughter's a rising sophomore. Um, so I think the, if I had to guess, Chris, I will say there there will be college football this fall in some form or fashion or some point in the fall. But I, I really it's just a guess. I believe I read this in The Athletic and it was very, very, very speculative. But it was a piece about what if the SEC played yes. football and no one else did? Now, I'd never thought about that till this weekend, but that would be a very interesting scenario. Yeah, it's, you know, what if certain public schools say yes or private schools say no or Vanderbilt doesn't want to play football and Alabama does and, you know, will they play? There's there's just so much, so many possible, possible scenarios out there. It's crazy. Well, think about this for a minute. What if the SEC, just in the bizarre world that we live in these days, is the only conference that decides to play football next year? All four spots in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, which, Vanderbilt will be ranked in the top 15. <laughs> that, that, there's also that. But think about I guess you would you just play uh, – heck, you, you could play a round-robin SEC schedule. Everybody plays the other 13 teams. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, that – I, I seriously doubt that would happen, but that would be crazy if you just, all you had was SEC football next year. But, uh, you know, well, it, it's it's crazy times we live in, and like I said, we'll, we'll each week hopefully we'll get a clearer picture. Wouldn't that be weird, though? Would you ever – I think about this from time to time. Like, if you had these alternative worlds that you could, could live in, w- would you like to see one season where just the SEC plays – and nobody else plays just to see what that looks like and, and teams going around robbing and all that? Would you give up the whole thing for one of those? I don't think so. I mean, I do think about alternate, like, universes of sports, like what would happen in this, you know, what, what would happen if, you know, I'd love just unprovable things, but if you picked up, you know, 2012 Vanderbilt basketball and put them in 2015 SEC basketball when the league wasn't as good, you know, where, where do they stand or put them in the ACC, you know, stuff like that is fun to talk about. You can run it on the, you know, uh, computer simulation a million times, but that's not exactly the same thing as playing the game. I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of what happens if they were to have spring football. And let's say that they started everything the second semester. In other words, you've got basketball, football, and then, of course, baseball all going at the same time. And just what that's going to look like in my life of trying to cover all those at once, I cannot imagine what that would be like for you at The Athletic. Yeah, well, it wouldn't – as a company, it would change a lot. It wouldn't affect me that much because I specifically don't deal with the college sports um, now. I just deal with the Titans 
uh, predators, grizzlies, and, and then Joe Rex Road stuff. But I mean, it would it would be from the sports world. It would just be crazy. And one thing that's interesting, and Tim Corbin might have might have brought this up. I've heard someone bring this up that, that as fans and media we might not think of as far as if we had football in the fall in the spring, stretching the resources of universities just as far as like training staff and operations. You know, it's the, the schedule's pretty much well spread out. You, you need security, like I said, operations people, uh, enough trainers. Like if you had a football game, a baseball game, a basketball game, and then all the other Olympic sports on the same weekend, can schools handle that? Yeah, I, I think you've got also game administrators, stuff like that. I think it is a, I'm not going to call it a Pandora's box, but it does get to a lot of issues that have never been issues before. Exactly. Okay, let's talk the Vandy Sports 100 a bit. I think you've been following that along. We did number 60 today, Dominic De La Osa. We'll have number 59 coming later in the afternoon. We are doing this podcast around 2.30. Any thoughts on some of the ones we've rolled out over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, well, there's a heavy baseball, and it's, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. How do you separate – Dominic De La Osa from Xander Wheel. I mean, I, I know you've tried and you've, you have, and you've crunched some numbers when, you know, Dominic played in the, the quote unquote live ball era of college baseball. Um, you know, a, a lot of good players that, that impact, that had a huge impact on, on Vanderbilt baseball. You know, Brian Miller to me is one of the, uh, I thought at his peak, maybe for two years, he wasn't quite as good. The tail end of his junior year was as good of a reliever almost as, as Vanderbilt's had for multiple seasons um was was very good ryan mullins and kind of a almost slightly forgotten guy who was corbin inherited him and, and i wrote in that 2003 the worst got home run one of the things that that team did have going for it was was good starting pitching they had three major leaguers and two guys who reached triple a in um ryan mullins was one of those guys who who reached triple a uh, really good college pitcher and uh you know Phil Clark, only two years, but had some huge hits en route to a national championship. Yaz, you know, was on a team that broke through and made the College World Series. So, yeah, just a, a lot of really – and it tells you that there's a lot of good college ba- – there's a lot of great baseball players and athletes that have come through Vanderbilt over the time. If, if guys like, you know, Mike Yastrzemski, who had a good college career, and I know what they did afterwards isn't supposed to affect it, but he's in the major leagues. If if a guy like Mike Yastrzemski is just 61st on this list, it's a pretty good list. Yeah, that's what I keep telling people is that they say, oh, you know, you should have had such and such on the list. I'm like, well, wait to see what's coming, and people are about to figure that out. But Mullins is the one – I think that I'm fairly comfortable with these as I've gone through them. There's a couple guys I look back and say, maybe I could have moved them down one or two spots or up one or two spots. Mullins is the one guy on the list, and I think he's the only one of the 40 that I've done so far, where I say, I think I could make a case to move him up maybe as many as 15 or 20 spots from where I had him. I think he's the only guy that I feel that way about. And it's like Bill James talked about one time. Sometimes if you rearrange people's careers a little bit, in other words, if you take Mullins' junior season and swap it with his sophomore year, then all of a sudden, or maybe put it as his freshman year, the picture is a guy that's progressing and getting a little better. And then the way that we view a guy often is shaped by the last glance at him. Mullins' junior year wasn't as good as his senior year. He had that suspension. But I think that if Mullins rearranged his seasons 
in a different order, I think that people would probably view him differently in hindsight. Okay, well, yeah, Mullins, he wasn't a senior. He only played three years. Oh, so. sorry. I meant, yeah, well, if, if yeah, his last year. Yeah, yeah, he actually went 6-1, and one, but his numbers weren't as good. You know, his hit standings weren't as good and all that stuff. I would I would ding him for, for the, the following, that when he was needed the most, he provided the least. That that's the only Tim Corbin team, 2005, his senior season, that did not make the a regional. And he was a junior pitcher in theory, your Friday night starter, and he got suspended that year and did not, you know, he was not uh, kind of not not the leader that that team needed. And you know, they they missed the tournament basically one game, and they beat Florida one time the, that weekend series. They would have made it, and they probably still coulda shoulda. But uh, if I'm evaluating careers. I would say again that, that that he did not come up big when when the program needed him the most. Well, I will say that the reason that you just articulated is exactly why I had him as low as I did. So I'd already factored that in. And by the way, there were actually two Corbin teams that didn't make it. The the first one was oh right, three. Right, the first one. Yeah. So technically, he played on two of the three, which also I factored in as well because getting to the postseason and winning their factor. But to rebut that a little bit, he did throw a complete game in the Charlottesville Regional. I believe it was against Princeton. I I can't remember the opponent, but I had forgotten that. And he pitched really, really deep, like the seventh or beyond in most of his starts in 04, and that's very hard to do. So there is – you say he didn't pitch really well on the the stages where he was needed. I agree. I think the the last campaign – and that's the way I look at it too, Mitch – is that he really let his team down in a spot where he was top dog on that staff. But I think the memory of that obscured how well that he had pitched in 2004 and how consistently he had gone deep into games. Right, right. That's fair. And that, that Vanderbilt team that did not make it in 05 had a 31 RPI. Basically just, again, they were they got swept by Florida that last series and win just one of those games, they would have made it. I think they ended up being 13 and 17 in the SEC uh, that year. So, um, yeah, just just one went away. That 03 team was not close to making it. They had an RPI of 73, and they did make the SEC tournament, you know, as a big topic of my story last week, a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, they were they were below 500. Yeah, and that 05 team, that also – was the team that didn't make the SEC tournament, which I think was probably the big reason it didn't make the NCAs. Because sometimes the NCAA looks at it and says, all right, we've got all these conference teams in here together. How do we separate them? Well, let's take the easy route, didn't make the conference tournament. And that's what did them in that year. But that was the year I'm sure you remember. In fact, I think anybody was there to watch that year. That was the year that Matt Laporta just wrecked them that last weekend. Yeah, I remember. Anybody else on the top 100 that you look and say, I might have moved that guy up or down maybe more than four or five spots? Casey Weathers was interesting, a dominant pitcher for basically one year. You know, he was here two years, uh, but but was a key member of a, of a SEC championship team. So I think he's, you know, you judge him against a career like Vince Condi, who was obviously very, you know, played three years. I'm just kind of bouncing Bouncing around here, Brad Tinsley's interesting. I mean, this not that this matters. What what made Brad Tinsley higher than Jeff Roberson? And for those listening, one's eighty, one's eighty-one. Just I because I, I probably would have had Roberson higher, but again, I didn't dive into the numbers. Uh, played with more at stake. 
more okay, NCAA tournament fair. teams. I mean, I think the numbers were pretty close. It's like I think they both scored per 40 minutes and shot for 40 minutes about the same. Tinsley was a better free throw shooter. Roberson was a good one. I think it was just kind of like, okay, you trade some assists for some rebounds here. They were basically the same player. I mean, you can't rate them any closer than I did, but I think I used the tiebreaker as that Tinsley played on teams that had more success. Now, Tinsley also had a better supporting cast. Sure. So maybe I gave him credit for something he didn't do, but that was because, as you noted, I've got them right together. That's how I broke the tie. Yeah, yeah. So, um Spencer Navin, 71, sort of a – I mean, maybe it's not fair because he was on a college World Series, World Series team, but I think Spencer Navin's a little, little bit of a forgotten player, was a great defensive player who hit just enough to be a really good college catcher. Um, so I think, you know, I think I, I would have Casali ahead of Navin. Was was Navin on the – he was Casali's backup on the 11 team, right? Yeah, and – So I what, guess Navin – yeah, Navin was – College World Series team, but he was a backup and was a starter in 12 and 13. He was on the SEC championship team, but not on the uh, 14 World Series team. Well, and I don't think anybody is paying attention at this level, but if they were, they might have said, well, why did you put Navin as your catcher on the All-Decade team when Consali was a candidate and make Consali your backup? I guess this is where I split hairs a little bit. If I'm looking for a starting catcher, I would have rather had Navin but I thought that Casale, because he stuck around, was a regular longer, actually had a better career. So I thought Navin was a better catcher. But since this list wasn't about the better catcher, but like who had the better career, um, again, maybe it's splitting hairs, but that's why I did that the way I did it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, especially when you're dealing with such a good team, like an all-decade team, and you're you're actually trying to make the best team. You, you go with, if they're both good offensive players, you go with the better defensive player. And not yep. that, I mean... Casale's a major league catcher, so he's obviously he's he's a good defensive player. Yeah, the weird thing, and this was kind of the case with De La Osa too, who again was the, the last one that I did today or the first one. I'll do the second later. But De La Osa was a shortstop for his first year and a half. Not and a very think, good one. No, not a very good one, but he did, but play, he did short, play short, which speaks to defensive ability. But then they moved him to left, which is like and I guess you could say, well, he played in front of the the big angled wall and left, which is a little more difficult to play than a lot of places. But it was really weird. A guy that's playing a high impact defensive position, you figure they would have moved him to to second or third or or center or somewhere, but instead they moved him to left, which is again maybe the the least impact defensive spot on the field. Yeah, I forgot um, who would have been. You know what other positions were solidified. So I remember though. I think I specifically he, he had a really bad series. Uh, made a couple errors that lost an LSU game on the road on a Friday night. And I think he gets he benched on Saturday and played left field on a Sunday. I might be getting that wrong, and then basically was an outfielder the rest of his career. The two that I really had trouble with in baseball, one of them was Weathers because he was just so shut down dominant as a closer, but he was only the closer for one year. He won a dozen games and I think saved another seven. And he had the best season any Vanderbilt relief pitchers ever had. Other than that, he was there for one more year, kind of as a setup guy with a decent year. But I think he threw, I want to say, 78 innings for his career. So in terms of sample of playing time, he had the least of anybody. I could have easily put Casey... Uh, further down the list in the 80s or even the 90s, I, I thought, well, 
gosh, he was he was so good when he played that I kind of felt like I had to account for that. Maybe I overaccounted for that. Warner Jones was another one, had that one brilliant year and then hurt his wrist and was never the same. It really wasn't that great as a freshman uh, in terms of the stats he put up, but had that one just tremendous year. And so those two guys were hard to place for those reasons because they had those All-American seasons, each of them, but then the body of work behind that was pretty lacking. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I touched on Weathers earlier. I think the fact that he was a closer on an SEC championship team, that really helps his cause. And, um, at, you know, at his peak was one of the most dominant pitchers his program's had, which is saying something. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's always the, the, the difficulty there is the one year of dominance. And, you know, Warner Jones that one year was as good as, you know, had probably a top two or three season offensively of the Corbin era. I had Philip Clark at 62. Too high? Um, you know, that's a tough call. He had one good year, one really good year, and played on a national two good teams in a national championship team and had some big hits basically to get SEC, you know, won an SEC tournament with a base hit there. Um, who would I have higher? I mean – Kevin Zomack maybe had a better career, you know, Connor Kaiser maybe had a better career. So I, this is one of those things I, I know you're, you're, you're very number driven, but a lot of, you know, I do a lot of, I did a lot of lists in my career at Athlon and rankings. It's just, I used to say, it just depends if I would have started this an hour later and had different, something else on my mind, the list might look different, you know? So if you gave me all these names and I, I might, my list might look a lot different, but it's, it's, it's really hard to separate a lot of these guys, especially in this, especially in like the 50s, 60s, 70s range. Oh, and I'm the same way. I mean, one day I might have a guy 10, 12 spots higher for no good reason. With Clark, and I try not to give people credit for stuff they didn't do, but if Clark's birthday is a couple months after when it is, then he comes back for his junior year probably. Uh, well, he would. You know, of course, if they have a season, then he's probably a preseason first or second team All-American. So with the guys like him and Pat DeMarco was the same way, if you're good enough to go after your sophomore year, that speaks to your ability. Some of these guys had the ability of sticking around, most of them for a junior year, and some of them for a senior year. Uh, so I, I kind of presume with him that under a more normal career path, he's back for another year and, and probably lights it up as a junior. And so I try to balance it out that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, as someone, who, again, who's done this in the consumer stuff, is you just try and be consistent as much as possible with these lists. And if, you, if that's how you judge a guy, try and maybe hold this, a similar guy to similar standards or judge him that way. But it's, um, yeah, he, he is, he will be, you know, he'll go down as, you know, a very successful player again because it's big hits for a national championship team. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but kind of the final thing I do is when I'm looking at this before I publish it, I, I kind of look back at it one more time and say, all right, let's back away from the numbers and the stats and all that and just look at it from common sense. Is there anything in here that just really sticks out as I got this wrong one way or the other? And that's really how I make the final call. Yeah, I mean, of the of the ones you haven't revealed, really, no. I mean, yeah, not, not at all. I mean, I'm looking, you know, we, we talked about some of the ones in the back end and, you know, um, you know, I, again, I, we, not to rehash stuff, I, I think the one guy who people might be surprised isn't higher would be someone like George, uh, Jared Pinckney, but we've talked about reasons why. Basically, only one good year. Um, 
And, you know, he was a very good year, one of the most productive years for a tight end. But, um, uh, you know, that, that I think he's ranked appropriately. I'll give you one little stat I stumbled on when doing this. You mentioned Brian Miller earlier. He pitched in 49% of the games that Vanderbilt played in his career. I'm guessing we will not see that happen again as long as Tim Corbin is the coach. That's a great stat. And, I mean, I knew, I knew he was used – had kind of that rubber arm unique delivery. I knew he was used a lot. I would I would never have guessed even that high. No, I didn't remember it either. I think that always the things about relievers. If I'm going to put a reliever high, I want a guy that can go multiple innings, and that's why I like Tyler Brown and Weathers a lot. They're not just come in, throw eight nine pitches, get out of the ball game, get a save. They'll go three, four, five if you need. And Miller was that guy. Miller pitched seven innings against Texas in a College World Series game, and they didn't win it. But the reason it was important is it saved some of those other arms. And that wasn't a game that was out of hand. I think they lost it 4 to nothing. So he gave them a chance to win. If they hit a little bit, they didn't. But that's one of those outings that, like, it doesn't show up in the stats other than ERA. But I thought that was a really one of his bigger accomplishments, even though it came in a game that they lost in the College World Series, that he really set them up nicely for the rest of the tournament. Right. And, and appearances, especially, you know, watching Tim Corbin as much, his teams, appearances kind of let you know what the, the coaching staff thinks of a guy. <laughs> you know, they, they're not going to send a guy out there that they don't trust. And and they trusted Miller. He went out there a lot. I think a guy like Zach King, who we all thought probably that got more trust from the coaching staff than maybe his 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 results warranted. You know, they trusted him or they, they had belief in him because he, he had a lot of he's a guy that pitched a lot of games as well. Mitch, any final thoughts before we end the podcast? Uh, they just really, again, with sports not going on, isn't a ton to talk about. But um, any topics lying out there in the weeds that we didn't broach today? Um, I'm sure you've got your Korean Baseball Fantasy League draft later tonight. That's, you know, ESPN's going to start showing Korean, Korean professional fantasy baseball. So um, uh, I think I will pass on that one. Okay. Although, is that the uh, is the Korean league the one that uses a baseball that's a little bit smaller than a regulation I don't baseball? Know. I, I, I believe should, that's I should the case. That before a draft tonight. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't have a draft. Um, so yeah, no, not not a, you know, I always am amazed. I do a radio show uh, in College Station once a week, and I'm always amazed that Louis Bellin and I can talk for a half an hour about college sports when there's no college sports, and then I come on with you, and I, we can talk for 45 minutes about sports when there's no college sports. So. I got nothing else to add. Well, there there are rankings. I mean, that, that's kind of what you do when when there's a a vacancy in sports is you you do stuff like this. You rank players, and frankly, it's been a lot of fun. And sometimes it's nice to take a breath and get to things that you wouldn't ordinarily have a chance to do. Yeah, I will tease. I've got one thing coming that um, um, I'm working on, working on a story for the Athletic on Tim Corbin and James Franklin on their kind of unique friendship. So in the past week, I've Spoken to both of them, Bob Shoup, Ricky Ronnie, uh, Maggie Corbin. So it's going to be a long, pretty long feature. I think been working on that. So it's kind of fun. Well, that'll be fun to see when you put it out and tell people where they can find you online and where they can find you on Twitter. Um, at Mitch Light on Twitter. And my stuff is at The Athletic. Um, and the Nashville site. Well, you can get it anywhere, but it's usually on the Nashville site. Don't do a ton of writing, mostly editing, but try and maybe a story every two weeks or so. So uh, that's where you can find me. Hey, thanks a bunch, Mitch. No problem. Take care, Chris. He is Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.